guys. Welcome to the Journey of Ruth podcast. I am Courtney Lohman. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I am so glad that many of you enjoyed the fashion talk that I had with Jenilee Samuel last week. I know that many of you commented that you would love to have her in your closet to kind of show you how to work with the clothes that you already have. But I hope you are able to take some of her advice and apply it to your clothes and maybe inspire the purchase of a couple other items that you can mix into what you already have. If you're enjoying the Journey of Ruth podcast every week, let me invite you to become a part of our inner circle. For only $5 a month, you can become a Journey of Ruth patron at patreon.com slash journeyofruth. Our patrons have direct access to myself, they can offer podcast ideas, and I ask for their input on interview questions as well as some other things to come later on this year. I would love for you to join our community at Patreon this week and let your voice be heard. Now I get to introduce you to my friend, Pastor Joe Oswald. Pastor Joe serves up at the First Baptist Church of Williams in Williams, Arizona. He has a real passion for ministering to children through athletics because that's where his heart is. He loves being a pastor and he loves sports. We also talk about a really heavy topic in today's culture, which is technology. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And I'm talking for both kids and adults. So I hope that you will enjoy my conversation with Pastor Joe Oswald. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Pastor Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. This is Joe Oswald, and he is the pastor at First Baptist Church Williams. And we are connected because my dad used to be the pastor there when I was younger. Yay. Amen. Do you guys still love your parents? Oh, well, thank you. Are you still in the same office? Is it still Uh, the same pastor's office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this has been the pastoral office for many years. Um, you know, the building's still here and, um, we've added, got some land before I got up here, it's called dream acres. So there's 10 and a half acres, uh, North of, of, of the church building here. And so, yeah, but I know there's been a good legacy of pastors that have been in this church, which is kind of cool. So tell us a little bit about your family and your ministry and yourself. Okay. Well, um, I am, I am married to the love of my life, Kelly Lynn Oswald, and uh, we just uh, celebrated 21 years of marriage. I have um, four children, grown kids. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter, Jacqueline, who is down in the south part of the valley. Uh, she is married and has four kids. She's a nurse wow. uh, part-time. So she's a busy lady. <laughs> and her husband, Luke. And then I have one son, uh, James Oswald. He's down in the valley, too. He's a tech guy. Uh, and um, he has two children. So we have a total of six grandkids. So uh, we're blessed that way. Have a, a, a you know, just a, a blessed family. I have family back in the Midwest and, and I've been in ministry. Let's see. Okay. So I got saved the middle of my senior year. Is that okay? If I kind okay. of go briefly into my testimony. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was raised in a religious home, but so I knew about God, but didn't have a personal relationship with him. And I had a, a amazing teacher who taught government uh, senior year Long story short, he led me to Jesus uh, the middle wow. of my senior year, uh, December 7th. He remembered the date, therefore I have remembered it all these years. It was Pearl Harbor Day, mm-hmm. December 7th, 1981. He asked me, Joe, where are you going to go when you die? And we had already had a relationship as 
teacher to, to student, you know, so he didn't just come out of the blue and ask me that question. And I'd often thought of death and could never get anywhere with that. I was afraid of dying and then not knowing what the future held, a little fearful about that. That was a right question. And he led me to Jesus in his classroom. And then he didn't just leave me there. He discipled me. And then uh, God called me to go to Liberty Baptist College. It's Liberty University now. We had a youth pastor that took us on a uh, trip of some good Christian colleges. And during that time, I felt the call of God to become a preacher. Because prior to that, I thought maybe a, a sports broadcaster or a sports writer because I'm a sports nut. Okay. Uh, so that's the, that's the short version. I mean, that can take 10 to 15 minutes. You know how preachers can be long. So <laughs> oh, I'll I do. <laughs> you know, your daddy and I, yeah. So that that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so I've been in ministry, I would say, probably close to 30 years on and off, but steadily now since 03, okay. uh, you know, pastoring and so forth. So I've done some youth work as well and coaching with kids. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So how did you find yourself involved in ministry? Was that like something you'd always felt called to since you accepted Christ or is it something that developed? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was, like I said, saved the middle of my senior year and just the people in our lives, you know, our senior pastor, Dave Wilcox, still have contact with him to this day. He's in California now. Mentored uh, Gus Bath, Bass poured into us. My school teacher did. Uh, we had a group of young people and God was moving there and then going to Liberty and, you know, just seeing what was going on there with chapels every day and hearing high quality, you know, teachers and preachers and just God stirred at my heart. I even got the opportunity of sharing my testimony in front of some bigger crowds God orchestrated that. That wasn't something that I sought out. And they had people mm-hmm. in our church and even at school there saying, you know, Joe, you ought to consider being a pastor. And so I kind of considered that. And, you know, the rest is history there. So the passion, I love, I love people, uh-huh. uh, love people of all ages. And I think God kind of stirred that in my heart, even as a child through my parents, my dad was involved with community work and my mom had a real sensitive, still does to this day, a compassionate side. So you know, the Lord put all that together to make me who I am, and I'm still learning yeah, and growing. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, I guess it's a lifelong process, right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You were a PE teacher, correct? Yeah. Yes. I had the privilege of, and that's where God brought a tremendous amount of healing into my life. I um, hmm. got, got saved young, got married the, the first time uh, very young. That's where I have my two grown kids and six grandkids. But that marriage failed after 12 years. And that was, you know, I would take 95% of the blame there. And that was very difficult. And I just kind of thought that, you know, I was going to be on the shelf forever there. And yet God allowed me to work with athletes in training for several years. And that's where true healing began. Mm. Working with children. I was the head of the homeschool department and we had seven to 800 kids in our program uh, weekly of just classes all over and did camps for kids. And I learned more, even to this day, I still teach kids for free. We do the red zone program. So uh, Jesus said, you know, to his disciples in Matthew 18, if you want to be great and you want to enter into, into heaven, because they were arguing over who was the greatest. And he had a little child stand in their midst. And the Greek word for child there is probably someone six or younger. And he said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. And whoever, becomes like this little child will be great in my kingdom. So mm-hmm. I continue to learn things. We do a, a, a kid's message every Sunday. Okay. That's my favorite part of the service. I mean, asking them questions, they pray, 
I mean, you know, if you would ask the congregation, they'd probably say that that's their favorite part even more than hearing <laughs> me preach. You know, I hate to admit that, but uh, it's truth. Kids, kids are, are, are such a blessing. I was taught growing up, you know, by some of the adults, kids are to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. But God, God says kids are to be seen and heard. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. Putting importance on the child and on their faith and their, I don't know, their ideas about Jesus. Why do you think kids are such an important part of the church? Well, you know, you look at what Jesus said, it goes back to that, that passage there. And it even says later in that passage in Matthew 18, that, that their angels constantly behold the face of, of, of our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. So they have, that's where I think we get that term guardian angel. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're the real deal. I mean, there's a book written many years ago. Uh, I've only read parts of it, but I've never forgotten the title because if you really think of the imagery, it was Anne Ortland. Ray and Ann Ortland, uh, very influential uh, men and women of God. I think they're with Christ now. I'm not for sure on that one, but he wrote a book called Children Are Wet Cement. Say that again. I think children are wet cement. Wet cement. Interesting. Just think about that. We make an impact on them and, and vice versa. And, you know, from all these years of working with children, I mean, I can just think of time, of time after time of things that they've said and done. Um, they, when they're young, they take you literally. I, I think of this guy, Rue Pardo. He was in one of my, my Kiwanis class on Tuesdays. And his mom told me a story of uh, he was playing little league ball. And he was probably six or seven at that time. And the coach said, kids, you need to get behind me on this. So all the kids lined up behind the coach. <laughs> literal. They're so uh, literal. Yeah. And then I think of another time, a little boy named J.D. DeVries. I was coaching full-time PE for athletes. You know, it was mainly physical education, but I taught them about the Lord too, with it being homeschool families. A lot of them are believers. So there was that freedom to do so. And, you know, a big passion of mine was that they would take care of their bodies, which is at the temple of the Holy Spirit. And water drinking is a huge one. Most of us don't drink enough water. And I learned that the hard way. But anyways, so this little guy, JD, I'd been talking about treasuring our temple. And, you know, I'd give them water breaks and he, he goes off to the side and he's drinking water. He goes, look, coach, I'm treasuring myself. Oh, as he was drinking water. I can tell you, sister, a hundred stories similar to that of kids that I've been able to be around. Uh, I wish you could hear some of these kids pray how honest they are in their answers to to (laughs) questions and so forth. That's amazing. It cracks me up when my son prays and sometimes we have to remind him (laughs) that we, you know, have other things to do (laughs) because he'll just sit there and you know he, he starts might be a preacher in the making, oh huh? my gosh well first of all we have to remind him you have to pray for somebody else you know we really try to focus that because he's like and god i thank you for saving up for my spider-man legos and i really want this one but i also want this one so maybe i'll get this one first i mean he's just like literally having a conversation with god about sure. legos that's and great we're like dude it's bedtime like <laughs> We all need to go to sleep, <laughs> but yeah. I also don't ever want to discourage that because no. that idea of talking so honestly with God, I think is something that we lose as yes. adults and we feel like That's there's right. the like words we have to say. And no. I'm like, there you, isn't words you have to say. That is so spot on sister. I mean, you think of Psalm 62, eight, that's one of my favorite verses about prayer. It says, trust in him at all times, you people 
Mm. Pour out your hearts to him. God is a refuge for him yeah. or for, for us. And so, you know, this idea of pouring out our hearts, just tell them what's on our heart, you know, cast right. all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right. Um, you know, a lot of our prayers become rehearsed and practiced, but when they're younger, it is more from the heart. Mm-hmm. You are a sports fan. Yes. Huge, huge sports fan. Are you a Steelers fan? Cause there's a Steelers clock behind you. Yeah, you would bring that up. <laughs> you know, the people that know me are probably tired, especially my wife and kids, of the, you know, I'll bring it up in my sermons. I don't plan to do it, but it's just a part of who I am. I, I was born in Pittsburgh, okay. have relatives there. So it, it, I come by it honestly. Um, you know, I love anything Pittsburgh, the Pirates, the Penguins, and the Steelers, and just love that place. Uh, you know, so many fond memories as a child going there every year to see. Yeah grandparents and the aunts and uncles and the cousins so yeah I am a Steelers fan and it was a rough year with the injuries uh-huh. but uh, you know I, I I I really learn a lot from that I look for the people like the Kurt Warners and the Drew Breeses that know Christ and yeah I, I just I haven't had a chance to research it but I guess one of the owners for the Chiefs uh I don't know if it's Lamar Hunt. I'm probably getting that one right. One of the in the Hunt family uh, is a man of faith so mm. you find people that know God in every, every vernacular of life. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think there is secular and sacred. Sometimes we think there is, but that's not truth. God says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So we can be sports fans for God, right? Yeah. Hey, (laughs) if it, if it doesn't become an idol, that's the challenge. I mean, Uh, it was before I was saved, it was my God. I mean, that's all I pretty much focused on my, my Bible was the sports page and magazine, Sports Illustrated and Sporting News and what have you, because we didn't have the technology back then. But after I got saved, God, you know, from almost the get-go, put such a hunger in my heart for the word. Yeah. Okay, so you took the sports or your love of sports, and now you do something called the Red Zone. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, yes. Um, the Red Zone is a program that um, – you know, I did down in the valley for a while, and then when we came up here, I just thought, gosh, the Lord put the parsonage and the ten and a half acres right across from Wims Williams Elementary Middle School, mm-hmm. and I thought that's that's not an accident. Yeah. And as I was, you know, the Lord's kind of just we're all made creative, but He made me our dreamer that way. I'm always trying to think, what could we do? And I thought, man, we could have an after school program right here. They could just walk across the street with me, mm-hmm. and we got that going. We've been doing it now for five years. It'll be five full years that we've actually lived here this summer, but we started it that first fall. So this is wow. our fifth year of doing the red zone. And it's a free after school program every Wednesday. Get to do it today. And it's for kids third grade through eighth grade. We have about 20 kids involved. Last year we had a little bit more. It fluctuates. And so it does not cost the the parents anything. You know, there's Williams has a, a great diversity of some super wealthy people that can have two or three homes. And then you have a few middle-class folks, and then you've got some that really struggle, and they have to work two to three jobs just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Because the cost of living is very high up here in Williams. It's beautiful. So uh, we wanted that to not be a hindrance. And so the red zone, is that's a spinoff of football. That's the 20-yard line going to the end zone. And the goal is to try to score, right? So we want right. the, kids, the kids to score big in three areas. Number one, to have fun. Because they've been at school all day. Hmm. So we make it a lot of fun. Number two... Uh, to become a little more physically fit. And we all need help in that day and age, mm-hmm. in this day and age. And then the last one's to build their faith. So, you know, I go and pick them up. And the, the ones that are at the school, we get some that are 
uh, homeschooled that come, some that come from uh, another school in town, which is a charter school heritage. So they'll meet us there and I'll walk them over and, and um, we go into the God zone tent now that it's colder when it's nicer, you know, we can do games outside, but the God zone tent is a structure that's about 50 foot long, 34 wide and um, 17 and a half foot tall. We have artificial turf in there, benches, ping pong tables. It's just such a blessing. So we, we come in there and the kid, first thing we do is pray. And you know, when I first did it, it was usually me praying. They weren't willing, but the last couple of years, the kids almost fight to see who gets to lead in prayer. I love it. Isn't that cool? And that blesses my heart. And we alternate between guys and girls. And one of the things I try to teach these young kids, boys especially, is learning to be a gentleman because that isn't taught. And so they'll always say, the girls get to go first if it's snack time or what have you. But then we pray and then we exercise in a circle. And I try to teach them about the body and we do different you know, stretches and exercises for maybe five minutes. And then we'll, we'll play games like today. We're going to probably do a little bit of volleyball with, with some not real volleyball. So it's easier for the younger kids and work on bumps and sets and then do a little volleyball game in there. And then we'll do the Devo and we're learning. So last year we learned all of Psalm 23 mm. for the first semester. And then the 10 commandments this year, the first semester, we learned all of the Lord's Prayer, not only by memory, but what does it mean to pray and what do those verses mean? Sure. We just started the we just started the Beatitudes. So we covered blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, we, we focus on blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So that's about five to 10 minutes. We mm -hmm. don't want to throw a lot at them, but whet their appetite. Then they get a snack, uh, just something to hold them over before dinner without taking their appetite away. Yeah. And then we play another game. And it goes from, you know, by the time I get them and bring them back to the uh, God's own tent, you know, it's probably about 10 to 4, and it goes till 5 o'clock, and then their parents pick them up, and some of the kids walk home. Okay. So it's not real long, but they love to, to come. I remember one kid, uh, he isn't coming this year, just family lives out farther away, but the first year he did, he goes, Coach, can we do red zone every day? Oh. And it broke my heart. I wish I could. I just don't have that kind of time. Right. But um, it's really meeting a real need uh, in this community. And, you know, I would say half the kids know the Lord. The other half are in the kingdom yet. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the reason we do that. That's amazing. When we had talked a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> we talked about the alphabet memory verse list. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. me about that? Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. You know, ever since I've been saved, no one really told me to do it uh, that I can remember. I just knew that God's word was something to be memorized. I can remember uh -huh. uh, putting them on three by five cards and posting them around my house and my, my, my family at that time, you know, religious, you know, some knew the Lord, but not in the kingdom quite yet. And I had the privilege of leading my two younger sisters to Christ over time. But I remember putting them on the fridge and in, in the bathroom on the mirror. And I'd take them with me to school just to learn God's word. Well, I've never really quit that. And when Ashley and Sarah were little, we got them, we adopted them. They were, Ashley was two years and four months and Sarah was four months. And I would hide these alphabet memory verses. I came up with two lists of A to Z verses. So like to give you a couple of examples of the first list, you know, A, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, B, this is a favorite, be still and know that I'm God. Mm. Uh, and, and that's Psalm 46, uh, 10, but we don't, really focus so much on do they got the, the the address down we want them to learn the content right and so it, we focus more on what is the a verse and c verse is a big popular one 
cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Mm, yeah. You go to the end of that list, zeal for your house consumes me. You know, mm. P, pray without ceasing. The new, the second list, uh, let's see if uh, A verses accept one another and just as Christ accepted you. And what's so cool is we've had a couple kids memorize them all. We have a, a dear couple that's very gifted with art and and building things. Uh, Gene Riggle is able to make unbelievably handcrafted um, bowls out of different types of wood. And it's just unbelievable. His wife is an artist. And he donated, he donated five for any of the kids that could say all the verses. We've only given away two verse or two bowls so far, but these kids are working on it. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the verses, yeah, probably the favorite verse is from the first list, the E verse, encourage one another and build each other up. Yeah. So throughout the year, we work on these and we even have the big kids, us adults, say them out loud. Sometimes we'll have a little battle between the adults and the kids and who can say this first. And, you know, I just believe like it says in Psalm 119, your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that's why I want it is so powerful is when you hide God's word in your heart, uh, you know, it may not always hit us, but it, it, you know, the, the Holy spirit can pull it out when we need the truth most. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have this written down? I assume (laughs) you're, if someone wanted to get a hold of this alphabet memory list, would you be willing to share it? Yeah, I could email you those. You betcha. Okay, cool. Well then we'll, we'll put that up uh, maybe on our blog so people can go over and, and have that. That would be great. And they're easier ones. They're little one-liners. They're not paragraph long, you know, type mm-hmm. of verses. Probably the longest one is the H verse in list number one, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. It'll go well with you and you'll enjoy long life on the earth. That's the longest one. Okay. But most of them are little one-liners like the second F verse is fight the good fight of faith. Yeah. So they're doable verses. And the, the it was totally a God thing because God kind of, you know, guided my memory with verses that would come to my mind and it kind of covers salvation and everyday living. So it's not just all focused in one topic. It, it will really help us be grounded Christians if we remember them and apply them. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I love in being a mom of young kids that are memorizing scripture, our boys do attend an Awana program here in town. And so there's a lot of scripture memory that goes along with that. Well, I'm memorizing scripture because, of course, right. I'm doing it with them at five and two. They can't read. Uh, well, my five-year-old's getting really good. But, you know, we do a lot with them. And so it's not just affecting them, but it's also affecting me. And the other mm-hmm. thing that I love about them memorizing it is in times of discipline, I can remind them yeah. sometimes of those verses and – it all of a sudden gives purpose. Do you remember that verse that we memorized about honoring? What yeah. did that verse say? Honor your mother and father. Okay, so is what you're doing honoring your mother and father right now? Mm. And yeah. then that allows them to think through what they've done instead of me just saying, you need to listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> you no, know? that's right. No, that's how we're to do it. The words to affect our lives. I mean, my... Uh, daughter Ashley, I, I, uh, I mean, they could take the bus. Um, yeah, Sarah could walk to school and she does when the weather's nicer, but you know, they're growing up now so quickly. And I, you know, the church is five minutes from the house, not even, 
So I, I come in here at five and study for about two and a half hours uh, almost. And I get to the house at 730 and we have a quick Devo. So Monday yeah. I do the devotion. Kelly does it the next day. Then the next day, Ashley and then Sierra. And then Friday's our family day because they have a four day school week up here. And, um, you know, they've been, they've learned these verses and, you know, the teen years are tougher. I'm trying to navigate that. And, you know, Ashley will act like she's not real interested. And I drop her off after I drop Sierra off. And today I said, Hey, do you remember second Timothy one seven? And, you know, she didn't remember the address as well, but I got it started. I said, God hasn't given us. And I stopped and I said, I'm not dropping you off until you say the rest of it. <laughs> and she says a spirit of fear, but a power, love and a sound mind. And I said, Ashley, that's truth. Because, mm-hmm. you know, she's in a minority there. You know, the kids, you know, we have some that homeschool in, in our congregation, and that's a great calling. We aren't called to do that, my wife and I, but yet we influence them, you know, regularly and have taught them the word, and we have youth group and different things. But my heart is, yeah, it's tough. The kids today face a lot of stuff, and they're they're in a minority. So they know the word, and I just got to trust that it's going to hit them when they need it most. And you know, by more than Oh, go ahead. No, you just can't shove it down. Being a PK, there's a lot of pressure on pastor's kids. And yeah. we try not to uh, push too much on them. And, you know, it's hard. How do you have healthy boundaries? How do you let them be in the world but not of it? Yeah. And Williams is a very small town. Yes. So when you say she's a minority, you mean uh, a minority because she is a believer. Yeah. 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 In the school system. I mean, you know, there are good churches up here and there are more Christians than I think we know, but at that age, they don't want to stand out. They don't right. want to, it's tough, you know, and I don't know if I'd be any different. I got saved in my senior year and God made me bold. I wasn't ashamed. I brought my Bible to school, but that's, I don't think that always happens, yeah. you know, and so I can't expect my kids to be something that they're not, and they're fine young gals. I mean, you know, Sarah was so shy before we came up here and we couldn't get her to do any of the church plays or anything down there when we pastored at Compass Bible Church and she comes up here in third grade and uh, Miss Jackson and Miss Chavez have been teaching there for many years and they do a play around Christmas time and Sierra got a leading part. And just this last week, she got an award for perfect attendance and almost got on a roll the year before she did. And they asked her to speak and she spoke in front of 400 people with no flaws at all. And I was so proud wow. of her. Now, Ashley, her strength, she is incredibly healthy, helpful and kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's in her DNA. God made her that way. That's one of her spiritual gifts. So I've got to kind of remember who they are and try to let them be who God made them to be. Yeah. Not who I think. Yeah. Is there one really strong lesson in being a father and working with kids that you've learned that maybe you want to share with those that maybe haven't worked with kids? Wow. Well, I would put a challenge out because if you would probably talk to all the churches, I know you go to a huge church, Palmcroft, mm-hmm. I just think it's one of the most amazing churches around. And uh, in our church, you know, we might between the two services have 175 people on a good Sunday, you know, between yeah. the two services. But, um, you know, we always need help. I think bigger churches need help. I know some really large churches can't pull off VBS because they need, you know, tons of workers to reach that many kids. Yeah. So, uh, if you really would like your life to change, volunteer working with children, whether it's as a teacher's aide at VBS, helping a program like at the Red Zone, um, you'll be forever changed just mm-hmm. being around them. Uh, 
my wife's the librarian at the school. That wasn't on her radar. She has a degree in communications. She was one of Weight Watchers' best uh, leaders for many years. And then she came up here and she felt that God was closing that chapter in her life. And she, three years ago, became a teacher's aide. And then that opened up to her being the librarian. And she gets to influence pre-K through eighth graders and have have encouragement and influence with teachers too. And she loves her job and it's yeah. part-time. So um, I just think children need adults in their lives that can encourage them more than ever because of the breakdown of the family, because of just the negativity that is in society with bullying and, and access to so much stuff on the internet and so forth, uh, that they need that. Um, and you're blessed by it. I, I just... I will never give up working with children because I am always touched. You know, that's how God makes it. Ministry goes two ways. Uh-huh. Also in Romans 1.13, you know, I can't wait to be with you because he hadn't made it to Rome yet so that we can each be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I think that's Romans 1.12, 12 or 13, one of the two there. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think you're right about churches always needing people to help in their children's ministry. I think you're right about that. But the effect that those workers have as a mom, I can be the first to say it's huge. Yeah. They are the ones that can tell my kids sometimes the same things I've been saying. Yes. <laughs> right. Amen. But it yes. wasn't mom that said it. It was someone else that said it. And all of a sudden it hits home. Right. Yeah. Or it can be they say something that I either haven't said or to be honest something times I think my kids can't understand it Mm. there's this part of me that's like oh well they're not old enough to really process that or understand that and then my son comes home and tells me all about Daniel's prophetic dream wow right with all of the different animals and what they represented and the countries that they represented and it's all in his brain and my thought is who thought that a room full of kindergartners could understand and process Daniel's prophetic dream? Mm. Not me. Right. But someone made it fun. Someone made it applicable and someone helped a group of kindergartners, at at least my son walk away from that Sunday school class, understanding a part of the Bible that some adults shy away from. Mm -hmm. And I love and appreciate those that volunteer specifically in my son's classes because they even my two-year-old and I encourage parents don't shy away from doing scripture memory with your two-year-old because mm. our oh, yeah yeah our church does exactly. a two-year-old Awana program they do wow. one verse each month That's and super. when they start you know in September the two-year-olds are barely talking <laughs> yeah. you know in full sentences but this this month for the first time, he's remembering his verse on his own. And it's Great. the super cutest, you know, never tire of doing right. Oh, which, what a great verse to learn. Oh, it's yeah. fabulous, right? But then the location is first Thessalonians. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's a big word. <laughs> so, but that right there is such a good truth for two-year-olds to learn, <laughs> right? And they're, yeah two-year-old oh. ways and the fact that he can remember that at two sure. it's so well, encouraging think, to me 
think of Second Timothy, a very familiar passage, and you know, uh, three fifteen and following. It says, you know, Paul was telling Timothy how from infancy mm. you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. You know, his grandma and mother, because he had an unbelieving father. I don't know if dad ever became a Christian. He was, you know, Greek, but I have a feeling that probably did happen. But it was his grandma and mother's influence that taught him the Jewish scriptures, and then Paul led him to Christ, you know, yeah. so um, it, they're sponges, you know, I think maybe that's why kids like SpongeBob, I'm not a real big fan on that, but you know, they, they, <laughs> they soak in so much, you know, yeah. they are better listeners Yeah. Um, when they're younger, I think as they get older, like what happens to us, all the other distractions of life hinder their listening, but when they're, uh, you know, up to five and even six, they they just soak in almost everything. They'll say, "Daddy, do you remember when you said that?" Oh, well, yeah, I did say that. So what a, what an example of child likeness. You know, one thing that I think why I love to be around kids is their laughter and and funness. Um, I don't know where I I put it in my first book. I've written two books. A little child shall lead them, and then the second one um, from a pastor's heart and hand, and. Uh, one chapter in the first book, uh, Little Child Shall Lead Them, is joy in the journey. And I remember doing a PE class, and we were doing the presidential fitness testing. And remember, you had push-ups, you had sit-ups, you had the V-stretch, you had the shuttle run and the distance run. Yeah, I never so I never got those awards, ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the the little kids, you know, they'd run a quarter of a mile, like five, five up to seven, eight to ten, if my memory serves me correctly, ran a half a mile. And then the 11 and older had to do the mile. And, you know, this one girl, Chloe, and, you know, she homeschooled all throughout. She's done, she does acting now and is involved with some of the Christian plays down there. Amazing young lady. Mm. When she was five, she came to class right when we were doing testing. And um, the kids, when I said, today we're going to practice the distance run, and most of them, no. But she was with the little group. She goes, as we started to run, she goes, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and, you know. That's the example. They say the average child, you know, around five years of age laughs 150 times a day. Mm-hmm. Or the average grown-up, and I question this one, I've heard is 15 times a day. We, you know, a merry heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. I mean, Sierra, when she was really little, she would sometimes get afraid she'd come sleep between Kelly and I. Uh-huh. And, you know, what parent doesn't love that? You know, right. those are good members. They don't, they don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, she used to laugh in her sleep mm. and that would wake us up sometime. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. And I got to thinking, gosh, do I laugh in my dreams? Mm. Or do I cry and pout and, and get angry? I don't know. <laughs> right? right. You know? Yeah. Scary dreams, yeah. stress dreams. Yeah. So many things. I don't know how many times I wake up laughing though. Yeah, that's true. So you have written those two books. Yeah. A little. A little child shall lead them. And there's some others. I was just looking on the internet. I, you know, it's great to write one, but it's so hard to promote your own books. (laughs) (laughs) I've just, I've I've given more books away than I've sold. You know, I mean, it's all right, but maybe one day they'll take off, but they are, they've really blessed a lot of folks. The first one was written. I, I had it printed on its own and then it was, published by Publish America, which I think is now called America Starbooks. But if you went on Amazon or Google and said a little child shall lead them by Joe Oswald, it would come up. And it's six childlike traits that 
I believe we're supposed to have the first one, trust and obey, uh, joy in the journey, attitude of gratitude, tell it like it is, stop, look, and listen, and uh, there's no place like home, which is about heaven, and it's filled with scriptures. It's not a big read. There's maybe 80-something pages is all, but stories and quotes by kids, and, um, you know, I, I need to go. I actually challenged a brother loaned it to him because he's been just struggling with some things, and you know, I think it's going to help him. Yeah. And then the other one uh, that I wrote in 2015 was a comp- compilation of emails that I would send out to the body of Christ there and abroad. And I had some missionaries over in Africa say, Jay, you got to put this into book form. And I did that. Mm. And so it's from a pastor's heart and hand because it's just thoughts that, you know, as I go through life. And that one uh, was done by Zulon Press, but I think even Walmart had it. But if you titled that one from a pastor's heart and hand, uh, by Joseph Oswald. I think I put my full name, Joseph Paul Oswald. But even if you did Joe Oswald, it'll, it'll still link you there. Yeah, we'll so go ahead and put those on the show notes so people can yeah. find them and um, yeah. purchase them. Devos. They're devos. I mean, I've had many people. I had a, a guy that was a teacher for many years, his wife involved with education. I think they're up in Kingman. And, and they said it really helped them in their marriage life because there are some about the family and so forth. So you know, anything that has God's word in it, and that's what it is, because I, I really don't have anything to say if it was just my opinion on something, but because it's filled with truth, yeah. we know Jesus said the truth sets us free. And one of the most beautiful things is you maybe didn't write it as a marriage book, but because it was scripture, God can take his words and impact someone's life in the way that he wants it to be impacted, not, maybe not necessarily the way that you meant for it to impact, which is beautiful yeah. and amazing. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, Because there is a chapter in that second book called, Are We Allowing Technology to Be a Tool or a Trap? Yes. So did you know this is where I was going next? Of course you did. But (laughs) No, but I just kind of thought that. (laughs) But that's exactly, that's exactly what I was leading to is that in your book, you have that information about technology and obviously working with kids, that's a huge, huge thing coming out. Like how much technology should our kids have? Not to mention... They're, they now have technology class in mm. schools. And then we as parents have technology. And how is our use of cell phones and TV and videos, video games, how is that affecting our work week and our parenting? So it's a big discussion. Can you tell us in your research that you've done, is it good? Is it not good? What have you found? Well, you think back to that chapter that's in the book, you know, it can either be a a tool or a trap. Let's start on the positive side of things. Look, we, we're doing this via technology. Yes. How, how cool is that? You're, you know, 160 miles away or more, mm-hmm. and I can see you, you can see me, we can hear each other well, and, and we're getting this message out to who knows how many people will tune into that. Right. You know, um, I, I get on Facebook uh, I still got to learn how to use Instagram that my kids don't necessarily want me to be that, that, you know, <laughs> whatever. So I got a learning curve there, but it, you know, I've, I wasn't even big on Facebook and it wasn't that long ago that I just got on the computer when I was with athletes in training in 99, the first up to 2003, I had never touched a computer. Mm. And when they were going that route, I was fearful. Of, I don't even know how to use a mouse. What is a mouse? I think of a little mouse chasing you around the house. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm, I, I can work my way around. And the fact that we can put our, our services on Facebook, we, we have a guy that tunes in 
every week, Saturday and Sunday. From He's a trucker from uh, Texas. He used to attend this church. My sister in Florida sometimes will tune in. So mm-hmm. there are the blessings. I can browse it daily, and it reminds me of people's birthdays. Uh, I see what's going on in their life, and that's, that sparks me to prayer. That's the good side of things. Mm-hmm. Here's the negative. I, I, I knew a guy, and I won't mention his name, but when I pastored down in the valley there, younger guy and they attended our church and he he would work all day and then he'd come home and he'd be playing computer games on the computer with guys around the world for hours and he ended up losing his marriage because he ignored his wife and children Mm. and she got involved with someone else that showed him attention so and i knew another situation where someone just innocently hooked up or just started talking with someone on facebook an old boyfriend and that led to the demise of that marriage and that go boom boom i mean there could be hundreds of stories that way in the area of research, um, you know, they've, and I, I don't have it handy right now, but I think it was in uh, some psychologists that studied people that the more time that we do spend on technology, that the more lonely we become. And I was talking to a doctor too, not that long ago, that it it's not good for us always to be tuned in and plugged in. Hmm. Uh, we have to, well, think of the beavers, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, that's my hardest thing at night is letting go of all this conversations I've had with people via phone, counseling, studying, and and the mind doesn't turn off. So you've got to have uh, margin. Dr. Yeah. Richard yeah. Swenson wrote a book called a, a Minute of Margin. It's a great devo. His his other book is just called Margin. And he was a medical doctor. And I, when Kelly and I went to Lake Tahoe the first time. It was the Barnabas ministry that put that on. A pastor could stay there for a week. I don't know if they still do that. This pastor, I can see him. I can't remember his name. I met him at a Promise Keeper event in Las Vegas. And he said, yeah, you can come up there. It's for pastors for a week. It'll cost you $250. Wow. We covered and But you have to commit to one of the seminars. And one was on marriage, one was on ministry, and then the other was margin. And Kelly and I looked at each other, well, margin. And you think of if you don't have margin on on paper, if it's all writing, who wants to read that? We need margin in our life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And being a medical doctor, you, know, you imagine how stressful their lives are. Uh, they have some of the highest rates of, of stress, alcoholism, and probably even suicide. He would go down to do missions trips in third world countries, especially down in Latin America and the old siesta. He would watch these people and they would take a little afternoon nap. And they weren't as stressed out. They made time to talk. And here you and I, we're under the gun. We're always looking at the clock, trying to see how many things that we can do, you know, to get done in a day. And is that real life? If Jesus took a nap in the middle of the day, um, they had to wake him up in the middle of a storm, then it's okay to nap. And I continually try to work on that. Prior to going through that study and reading more, I just always worked six days a week. I mean, you could in ministry, you could work seven days easy. But after many years of doing that, uh, my wife challenged me and others did too. Why don't you try to do it in five? And I still put in 50 hours a week. I remember your dad even saying, Joe, who says you have to work 50? You know, try to get into the 40s. And I still have not been able to do that because there's just so much to do. But I work a lot less and I feel like I'm a little healthier. My wife will often say, Joe, I'm not going to get on that squirrel cage with you. And she was a massage therapist. That did wonders. The first time she gave me a massage after we were married, I cried because it was a great stress reliever. I didn't know that was going to happen. You got to make time 
to for yourself. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And my heart goes out to young moms who, when do you get a break? Uh, it, it, you can, you have to make that. Kids have to learn that mama needs her time too. And daddies need to step up and give mom a break or you drop your kids off and someone that you trust that can watch your kids. Yeah, it is definitely this American construct that we just drive, 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 go, go, go. Right. I lived in France for a little while and they take two hours for lunch. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's, Kelly got to go. My wife got to tour over and she said that was the thing that stood out to her. Yeah. And so providing that space, in fact, our episode that is two episodes before yours was about taking that time to listen to yourself, to listen mm. to your body. Now we were talking specifically about yoga, right? Mm. But even more than yoga, taking that moment to sit quietly and process your emotions, let your body mm. relax. And I almost feel like then we can be more receptive to where God is wanting to speak to yeah. us because we're not, sometimes when we're going and going, God's one voice in a thousand others in our head. And if mm -hmm. we can calm our minds and our bodies and the stress that's going on, then now we have the opportunity to hear, okay, that voice is stress. That voice is worry. That voice is anger. And you can say, and that voice right there is God. The one saying to you, you are valuable. You are precious. You are doing a wonderful job, <laughs> right? Instead of someone saying, you're not doing a great job. You can never do a good job. We know that that voice is not from God. Yeah. Yep. Well, let me give you an example. It just happened last week. I mean, if we don't ever, um, if we're always tuned in, we're going to be tuned out to to others and not have that quality time. I mean, in, in that chapter, are we allowing technology to be a tool or a trap? It's uh, Professor Kenneth Gergen of Swarthmore College. I've never heard of it. Wow. He calls it he calls it absent presence. You're you're out. There, there's a family out to eat. Dad's watching the big screen TV. Mom is texting or talking on the phone to a friend. The kids are playing video games. They're together, but they're not, not together. really connecting. Yeah. And so that's why we don't allow technology at the table. You know and and. It's so easy to do that. We we have a rule. The girls have to turn it off at eight at night, and then that we have time together. And a lot of times we'll take a break from that uh, and play some cards. You know, we have to be intentional. I have to be better at not checking emails on my day off, because mm. then I go into the work mode. Last, Thursday is my Sabbath, because that's really the only day where it's just me and the Lord. And I just do some. I like to hike. You know, do some projects around the house, and I tune out from people because. You know, I love my family, but sometimes as a pastor, you need a break from people because you're always with them. And then right. Friday is our family day. It is the only day that we have as the Oswalds to where we're not with others. And that gets attacked all the time. Hmm. I can imagine. So we have to be very intentional. We're not that important. If I'm meeting with someone and I get a call, unless I see it's my wife, then I might ask, because she usually won't call unless it's something very, very important. Then I'll ask permission. Can I get this phone call? Other than that, for my children, because normally they're not going to call you while they're at school, there's something up. Uh, I, I, my utmost attention is focused on that person I'm meeting with. Yeah. That's hard to have your focus on the person that you're with when there's so many other things going on. You know, I, my husband and I have talked about 
the idea of having intentional time with each other, you know, especially as parents, it can always be, well, we need to get the kids this and we need to do the kids this. And then you get to the end of the night and you're exhausted. Yeah. And you yeah. haven't had that oh. time together. Yes. And so uh, technology can obviously, it can keep us connected with people that are far away. Like you said, that's the good part of it. I mean, my parents live in North Carolina. So without technology, yes, it would be hard to keep right. track of them and keep track of them. <laughs> like I need to keep track of my parents. <laughs> Maybe that was a Freudian slip, but you know, uh, <laughs> but also for them to have a relationship with their grandsons. Yeah. I mean, they live so far away and yet my grandsons know their mean on pops because of technology, mm. but you're right. It can drive us into a point of feeling so lonely. So mm. what can we as, the church do to kind of help in that loneliness that's created through technology? Well, you know, I, I think you talk about it. It comes out, it should come out in our Bible studies and our sermons. You know, I mean, what are the good things about technology? We've talked about some of that, encourage that to, to you know, a group text, you know, when I have a meeting, you know, just, I did that. I have a meeting here at 1030 and, you know, there'll be four of us and, talked to the one guy yesterday, but the other two, I just text them say, Hey, we're on for tomorrow. Can you make it? And they just text me back. That saved me some time, but I'm old school. I still like to call people on the phone. And <laughs> I meet, I meet regularly with men uh, and even young men uh, for discipleship. And I have an open door policy and, and people will drop in. And if I'm not tied up with someone else, I will take time for them. I was yeah. getting ready to leave yesterday, go work out with my wife and an older lady came by and just needed to talk. And I, I said, I can give you 15 minutes because mm -hmm. I have a date with my mate, you know, and the, the, the family, the, the body of Christ knows that it's my family first. Cause the Bible says ministry can be all consuming. If we don't provide for our own family members, first Peter or first Timothy five, eight, we're worse than an unbeliever. Hmm. That's huge. And we can be disqualified for ministry when we don't manage our own household. Well, and that's a, that takes a lot of time and effort. So that goes both ways. Um, you know, I've taken a fast from the media. I only watch it a little bit because it can be, even Fox News can be negative. And just all that, you know, so I don't want to have a, a negative view of anybody. Uh, so I research it a little bit with some good, trustworthy things on the internet. But I know what's going on, but I'm not all consuming. I've seen so many Christians get in fights over politics. And, you know, I go back to the word, First Timothy 2. I urge, first of all, verse one, that prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority. Nero was the king at that time. He was feeding Christians to the lions, and yet Paul said, pray for him. Yeah. I have prayed for every president since I've been a believer, that God would give them grace and wisdom. I pray more for the media that God would convict them of some of the the fights that they stir up and that they would report more good news. So by taking a fast from some of that news and focusing more on other stuff and just time for people, because really, what are we called to do? The gospel. Our mission here at um, First Baptist, I forget what preacher came up with it, but it's really a good one-liner that's biblically based from the Great Commission. Changing hearts, changing lives, one soul at a time. Hmm. Isn't that, isn't that biblical? Jesus yes. said, uh, 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 Jesus will go after the one sheep that's strayed. He'll leave the 99. Yeah. And we're all called to do that. 
there's great joy over one sinner who repents. And so every day I can make a difference in somebody's life. It's like your prayer, Courtney, before we got going today. I loved it. You know, it's not a matter of how many tune in. It's how do you put a price tag on one person being touched by this? Right. And, and when we're on technology, we get all over the place. We have to have time to really be able to talk. They're finding out with our younger folks, they really don't know how to have good conversations. Yeah. You, you know, and, and it can happen, but there needs to be real face time where you're in each other's presence. And we have to kind of force it sometimes with our family because our girls would love to just rather be on the on texting their friends or watching a video or what have you, you know what I mean? But we make them spend time. Sometimes like last night, I battled Ashley with Wii games, you know, the newer stuff we don't have and it would probably be way beyond me. And I tied her in baseball. I still can't beat her in bowling. And so we, it gives us time together. And there was a little bit of kidding with each other. So, you know, she didn't really want to do it. I just asked her, hey, you want to play some Wii? And at first she goes, well, I guess. That's her favorite two words right now, I guess, to be in this. And then I said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to force it. But then she said, yeah, come on. And we had probably a good 40 minutes together, you know, because she's a freshman. I don't know where she's going to be, you know, when she graduates. I hope nearby, but she she likes the warmer climate. She may want to go down to the valley, be nearer to grandma. She loves her grandma, Vanna. So that's why it's important is if we don't have healthy boundaries, even with the TV, uh, I tape athletic contests, being a sports fan. So I am not tied up for three and a half hours watching a game. I can watch. I watched the Penguins last night. Maybe an hour, not even an hour because they lost. I fast forwarded through all the garbage and bad play and saw the goals and, and I was happy. Yeah. Well, and I guess that makes sense that if you are truly kind of focusing on people, making that intentional focus on the people that you're with and on engaging with the people that you will meet, that that loneliness cannot take root because yeah. you're focusing on others. And I know that's that's got to be hard because I think technology can be addicting. Yeah. Oh, you're right. For sure. Right. Yep. And so I've seen parents do it. I mean, I teach piano and voice lessons. So I, I have kids in my house all the time. And I, I love when I see parents say, stop, <laughs> look Good. at your teacher and tell her that again while looking at her. Right. Because you talk about, you know, needing to teach a child to make eye contact and mm. That's huge. You know, and that is a big deal. And a lot of people, you know, are are looking elsewhere. But teaching your child that, teaching your child, we're going to do technology together or we're going to not have technology together, right? Because, you know, what do you say to your kids if they can't have their phones but you can? And so Mm. we're not going to have technology. I, as the adult, am going to take this break as well. But I think loneliness, once it's taken root, is really hard to kind of get out of, and it can become all-consuming. Mm. So what do you say to someone that is feeling very lonely? Maybe they're not a parent. Maybe they're a single person that doesn't have family around them. They live alone or they live with roommates. I, I don't know who that person is, but what would you say to them, a person who's feeling really lonely and isolated right now. Mm. That's so that's I'm glad you brought that up, Courtney, because, uh, well, you know, research, 70% of pastors are depressed and many feel lonely because you know a lot of people, but do you have a few good friends? And mm-hmm. I, I'm grateful. I mean, my wife's my best friend next to Jesus, but 
but a guy needs a guy. And I have a couple of guys that I can, well, I don't have any hair anymore, but kind of let down my hair, so to speak. Right. <laughs> uh, and be myself. And, and, you know, it, you know, watch, watch the game with, with this friend, Mike, uh, who's a, you know, this pastored for many years down in the Valley at Calvary community as associate pastor. Now he's a teacher at NEU for their business online program, postgraduate. And we watched the, um, LSU game and, uh, watched it and probably did more talking, but just fellowship. Me and my wife joined the conversation too, which was, was good. So, um, I think it's admitting you need that, um, admitting vulnerability. You know, I'm lonely. Uh, I need time. Uh, you know, I do that with my girls, you know, your daddy loves you. And I know you want to, you'd rather be with your friends. That's kind of normal for teen years, but your father loves you and wants to spend time with you. You know, we need that. We need, that's, you know, remember back to, let's go back to the Bible. You know, Genesis one, God makes everything by speaking it into existence in six literal days. And remember he said, it's good. He saw that it was good. And then after he made mankind, he said, you know, it's very good. But there was one time when he said it wasn't good. It's not good for man to be alone. Hmm. And, you know, I think of uh, a quote, Marilyn Monroe, she was so well known and she said she felt so lonely. She felt like the only people that really listened to her were those that she paid to assist her. Yeah. Someone always wanted something from her. And, um, you know, the Mary and Martha thing. Mary, Mary, as soon as Jesus comes over, she sits at his feet and enjoys his company. But Martha, and I get this. She wants to have a great meal. I mean, that's a lot of food to prepare because the disciples were there too. And I know right. how many eat, right? And her brother Lazarus probably ate really well. And she's wanted it to be just right. She felt like she was doing it all herself. And, and Jesus, I don't think he yelled at her. He just probably shook his head and said, Martha, Martha, you're upset and worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part that won't be taken from her. I have to come back to that every day. One thing's necessary. And loneliness ultimately is fulfilled by knowing God, not knowing about mm -hmm. him, but really knowing him and then knowing his people. There's the two greatest commandments, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Love takes time. Yeah. It takes time. It's a lifetime of learning. And, and that's where we get shortchanged with technology because it's quick. It's shallow. Yeah. Like you could have a thousand Facebook friends, but how many do you really know? You, I don't have time. I can only spend time with a certain amount of people. So I want to spend time with people that I can really impact, but then be blessed by too. Because an unhealthy relationship where it's all one-sided. God, we alluded to it earlier in our conversation, iron sharpening iron, and eachly, each of us being mutually encouraged by our faith. You're encouraging me, sister in Christ, uh, not just because... I know your parents and love them, but just your passion for wanting to make a difference. And uh, I can see that very clearly just in our conversations we've had today and even before that. So that's a good thing. Yeah. We need to make time, you know, otherwise if it's got to be done in five to 10 minutes, well, we get what five to 10 minutes gets us. Yeah. When we are maybe feeling lonely and we don't know, maybe we're in a new city and maybe we're, in a new job and that I feel like making those connections as an adult is even harder than when you're yeah. younger because when you're younger you're in school and even in college you're meeting new people all the time everyone's open to 
hanging out because they've, they've got nothing but time on their hands, right? But if you talk to them, they have no time. <laughs> but as a mom, I'm like, oh, you have all the time in the world. You just, <laughs> you know, anyway. But in those younger years, you're making so many connections. But as an adult, mm. if you move to a new city and you start a new job and those people that you're working with are maybe not, you're not clicking with any of them. Where else do you suggest that mm. we make these connections and how do we make those connections? I think one of the things I love about living up here in Williams, it is a smaller town, even though we get people from all over the world visiting for the Grand Canyon and, you know, the Polar Express and different things. Uh, I forget what the population goes up to, you know, throughout the year, we get close to half a million visitors that come through this little town. Yeah. But um, people take time. They're not in a rush and there's restaurants everywhere. So I just meeting at Brood Awakenings for coffee, um, meeting for breakfast or lunch, being intentional to do that. I ran into some ladies that are retired now at, at Al Corral. And anytime I've been there, they're usually there. If it's around lunchtime, these ladies connect. Yeah. And, um, that's a good thing. I met with Tanner Grantham. He works for the county and he's a fellow football fan. He loves Christ. And there's young men that I've mentored and cared for. And, and we meet about once a month. And I do that pretty regularly with guys. So I, I think ladies, you know, we have a lot of women in our church that are involved with moms. Mothers of preschool. Uh, uh, what does that stand for? Mothers of preschool. Yeah. M-O-P-S. Mothers of preschool. Children. And it's, you know, biblically based and they get a connection. Home fellowships are important or a small group Bible study at church where you can share and bury your soul with somebody. And then you find out, oh, yeah, me too. And it, it starts from being vulnerable. Um, we had a big worship retreat last week, 30 of, of us here, and it was spearheaded by one of our worship leaders. We have two, one that does Saturday and one does Sunday. And I'd had a real, it was not a good Friday, our family day. And I just allowed because time was, you know, kids wanting to hang with their friends. And I, you know, I felt like the bad guy wanting us to be together. And I just got angry and I sinned. I just got angry about that. And, and I, I broke down and wept in front of the body because we were talking about true worship. What does that mean? And I said, worship is a lifestyle. It's in spirit and in truth. And I think that means we need to be vulnerable and admit that we struggle too, that we all have battles. And Christians sometimes have blown it there. Chuck Swindoll has a book called Dropping Your Guard. Mm -hmm. We got to take off the mask and let people know we're real people that have struggles. We, we, we don't have all the answers. We know the one who does. And we're a work in progress. Yeah. I don't know if that helps there. No, but that's definitely. I mean, and the one thing that I'm hearing from you is that you can't just sit and expect everyone to come to you. That's right. You have to reach out. That's yeah. right. Yep. He yeah. who has friends, Proverbs 18, 24, I think it's in the King James. He who has friends must show himself friendly. And then it says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's ultimately Jesus. He's our best friend that never fails. But we need to learn to become like, like a, uh, that type of a friend, not fair weather friends or fickle friends, but forever faithful friends. Mm -hmm. And where it says in Proverbs 17, 17, a true friend loves at all times and a brother or sister is born for adversity. You find out who your real friends are when you go through the hard times. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's very true. I know that in preparing to go and live in a foreign country, I read, a book 
Foreign to Familiar, which is mm. a book about basically moving into a new culture because there's so many nuances about wherever you might go that we don't always understand or expect. And it tells the story of a missionary that moved into what is called an open door, open door culture mm. with that idea of, yeah, everyone's just like, come on in. I don't even know you, but come on, let's go have coffee. Uh-huh. Let's go. And America is an open door culture, right? You, you can meet someone at a coffee shop and become friends with them or I don't know, like, Hey, yeah, let me, let me connect with you on Facebook. And then a few weeks later, you're going to a sports games together or you're getting your kids together for a play date, whatever that might be. That doesn't happen in some cultures In some cultures you make your friends when you're young and then that's it. Right. And it's very difficult to break into that. Well, this missionary was in an open door culture and you know, she was told, oh, yeah, people will show up at your door and they'll have coffee at your house and then they'll invite you to their house. And um, it, it's it's really it's something you have to get used to. But once you're used to it, it's fabulous because there are always people around. And when she got there for several months, no one came to her door. No wow. one invited her. And she was starting to get really discouraged. And someone asked her. I see how discouraged you are. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many invitations have you put out there? <laughs> yeah. And, and her response was, well, none. I, I was waiting for them to invite me. And she said that as soon as she started inviting the people that she met to come to her home and showing up at their doors with meals, the, the it turned the tables turned and she had people yeah. at her door and she had people in her home but it took her stepping out and actually making those connections before they began to feel comfortable to come to her house and i think that works with friendship the same way we can't expect our friends to give and give and give and give or people to say i'm going to invite you i'm going to invite you but instead to say i'm going to invite someone to my house no it's not the most Instagrammable house out there. You know, I don't have a perfect decorate decoration style. I have three kids and my house is never as clean as I'd want it to be, <laughs> but I'm still going to have them into my house. Or yeah. if you're not a house person, cause I do have a friend that's like, I just can't do people in my home. I'm going to invite them to go to Starbucks and there I'm going to pay yeah. for the Starbucks yeah. and, and yeah. I'm going to ask them to go and have that time. That's where, we can start to pursue friendship and step out of the loneliness because we are taking that opportunity to make that first step. Mm, That's huge. Yeah. I think it's just uh, really praying for that fostering it, encouraging it. Um, You know, the church, you know, what is the word for church? Ecclesia. It's a called out assembly. It's not a building. I say that quite often and maybe some people don't want to hear that anymore, but it's, we are the church wherever two or three gather in his name. That's a part of his body, his family. And, you know, you look in Acts chapter two, why that church flourished. They, you know, after Peter preached, it said they accepted his message and they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles teaching. So there's Bible study there and preaching and teaching, right? But then the next one, fellowship. Yeah. Koinonia is, you know, partnership, doing life together. Uh, 
They ate in each other's homes. They broke bread. They helped those in need. Yeah. And then it, it said, then God added to the church every day, those who were being saved as they did life together. I mean, it, it comes back to you know, one of the things I wish I would have done this earlier in my ministry years. I was so worried about the sermon just being right. I'd be praying up till the very last minute and then go out with, and that was in the days where you, the, the pastors and a few others sat on the platform area. You know, now yeah. we sit down with the group, which I wish it would have been. But now over the last several years, I come in early to study, but then, you know, an hour before service, you know, we have Bible study at 9.30, but I'm mingling with people from, you know, 8.30 to 9.30, and then for 15 minutes after Bible study in church, I try to meet as many people as I can and shake hands mm-hmm. and give hugs because that's important. And the church has gotten more friendly. I think prior to when I was here, I heard some folks say that it wasn't as friendly of a church. You know, that's God at work, but it just, it's setting that example. Yeah. Uh, how do we have friends and influence people uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, that, that bestseller, you know, he said, yes. learn people's yes. names. You know, you can make more friends in a year's time getting interested in other people and what they're doing than trying to get people interested in you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we are living in, I mean, think of the selfie. We are in a selfish day and age. And so people have to, and we're selfish by nature, that we have to force ourselves. You know, my wife's more shy, and yet most people would say, really? But she would prefer not to be with people, and she loves projects. Yeah. But she, being a communications manager, a pastor's wife, having her own business, working for Mary Kay, she even earned a pink car, had to give it back eventually. But, you know, she's learned to, to get out of her shell and reach out to others, and that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Well, I think all of these are amazing things for us to think about as we are kind of entering a new year. And I'm sure that there are some people that what we've talked about will help them achieve their goals that they're looking for, whether it's, you know, a goal spiritually or a goal socially with friends and family, or maybe even a a goal professionally, right, In, in setting their professional goals. So I have two questions that I ask all of our guests and so I'd love to ask them of you. Sure. <laughs> uh, the first one is, based on what we've talked about today, what is one thing that you would just leave with our guests to encourage them? Wow. Because we've covered some good ground. Um, you know, I, the older I'm getting, I'm seeing simplify. We live in such a complex society. You know, someone said a former, pre- I think it's uh, Jim Simbler, who pastors Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, church in New York City, Brooklyn, New York. Um, he said, Satan has weapons of mass distraction. Oh. Just think about that. And when and Jesus said that to Martha, you're, you're worried and upset and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. That one thing, it's, it's relational. Why are we here? It's to know God and love him and know people and love them. And then everything else, when we keep that that center and everything else springs from that life starts to make sense but we get off base i mean we're human god knows that we're sheep we go astray we got to come back to that center Mm -hmm. that's awesome and you and i have talked about how your girls have some women in their lives that mentor them and you have had people that have mentored you. We also talked a little bit about finding those people that are going to live life with you is really important. So we know that we don't really do life, the spiritual life or the 
physical world life alone. So who is it that has helped you along in your spiritual journey? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my school teacher was the first one um, who really helped me know Christ. I mean, obviously your parents, they brought us to church and loved us uh, as best as they could. And so there was that huge impact that the parents have and so forth. But but the most significant was when, you know, Abe Hoogerboom took an interest in me and made sure I understood what it mean to be a what it meant to be a Christian, how to follow him. And, you know, pastors throughout the, the the different journeys of my life, but just some men, you know, I mean, Jim Lake poured into me when I was down on the valley and really helped me grow. Uh Dave Wilcox, my my first real senior pastor, and we've reconnected through Facebook, uh-huh. you know, because, you know, you just move in life and he, in California and so forth. And then this guy, Mike Benjamin, uh, uh, you know, associate pastor for 30 years at Calvary Community and Lord led him and his wife up here. And, you know, he's not retired. Uh, he works for the NAU, but he started to come to our church and we hit it off. He's He's kind of like a confidant. I mean, we're friends. We can talk about things, but he's someone that I feel really safe with, and mm-hmm. um, we we sharpen each other. So, uh, you know, and there are many more. And my wife, you know, I would have to say, you know, men, you know, the older I get, I when I listen to her, oh, that I would listen to her more. You know how we can be stubborn sometimes. You know, like yeah. you said, it's, you say something, and then someone else says what you've been saying all along. But you know, Kelly Lynn has helped me to go at a slower pace. And if it wasn't for her, I don't know if I'd still be alive today because I'm the energizer bunny rabbit by nature. And, um, you know, we do life together and she's just an amazing woman. And so, you know, we got to make time to do that. You know, and I think if spouses, you know, we did, uh, what do you call it? What's that ministry family life and went to their, uh, weekend to remember. Oh yeah. I think that's crucial for people and marriages because, you know, Marriages, they say, are made in heaven, but the maintenance work is done here on earth. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, and what I hear in all of those names is that it's not just one person that affects no. your life, and yeah. it's that one person for your entire life. And I find that encouraging because I can know that if God is calling me to mentor or if God's calling me to disciple, that and I, this has such a negative connotation to it, but it's not a life sentence, mm. right? It's not. <laughs> good. I like that. Yeah. No, it's a blessing. Yeah, yeah, it's a blessing. And I understand that God has put me in that person's life for a very specific reason at that time. I may know and be a person of, of influence in their life for the rest of our lives. That may happen, but it also may be for only a time. Yeah. And So I'm going to meet with them or encourage them while that door is open. And then when God closes that door, it doesn't mean anything has failed. It means that we're moving on. Maybe he's moving me on. Maybe he's moving them on. Same thing. And then someone different is going to come along and be able to impact them. Someone different is going to come along and be able to impact me. And we get a different perspective on things. And so I love just that encouragement of hearing that all of these people have spoken different truths into your life. And it wasn't just, well, I've had this one mentor for my entire life and that's it. Yeah. Well, you think about it, the word Christians used three times in the New Testament. That means one who's, you know, can mean little Christ or one who's like Christ or follows Christ. The word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. 
And that word means a lifelong pupil. It is a journey. Uh, one person, I think it was Eugene Peterson, who came up with the, the paraphrase called The Message, and he's written other books, but yeah. I think he called uh, The Christian Life is it's a, a long obedience in one direction. Yes, I love that. Isn't that good? Yes. Yeah. It's not, you know, and that's what's hard in this age of microwaves and technology. We just think, hey, we're going to instantly be like the Savior. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. One sermon would forever fix the church. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's every day. Yeah. And it's getting back up. A righteous person falls seven times, but they get back up again. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of uh, this wisdom that you've shared with us today. Uh, it's been it's been fun, Courtney, and I pray that all those that will have to, will tune into this will be greatly blessed by it. God bless you, dear sister. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Pastor Joe was correct. We covered a lot of ground in that conversation, but I hope that you guys were as encouraged as I was to think about how technology can help me to stay in contact and encourage those that are farther away, but how it can get in the way of my relationship with those who are so close. I thought his idea of doing some kind of fast was actually a really good one. And I don't know about you guys, but I'd love to watch my kids' creativity blossom when the TV is off. And I also find that if I put music on in the background, that that also is fun for my kids to react to and almost spurs on their creativity. So turn off the TV, turn on some music, and let your kids' imaginations run wild. Remember to consider becoming a patron of the podcast over at patreon.com slash journeyofruth for only $5 a month. This is your chance to be a greater part of our podcast community. You can get a hold of us over at Instagram and Facebook at Journey of Ruth, or you can contact us, find past episodes, or request myself as a speaker over on our website at journeyofruthpodcast.com. Well, guys, I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you back here next Monday on the Journey of Ruth podcast. Oh,